Hello, 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 and welcome once again to Alan on Politics, at least for the time being. That's the title of the show. As those of you who are watching the video version have seen, I've got a new opening for the show with a new title, Political Dharma with Alan Z, that's me. And I'll explain that change in a moment. But I also want to say what the topic for today's show is and had planned to be before I decided to make these other changes. So what I want to talk about today is sort of a set of uh, slogans or an agenda, generalized agenda for political reconstruction based on the ethical principles that I covered in the last two programs. Uh, if you saw those, one was on the ethics of property relations and the other was on the ethics of social relations and from those I am going to derive let me show you on the screen here for the benefit of those of you who are not watching this as a video the five point agenda that I have up on the screen I'm going to read the first point is universal basic support the second principle is a green economy the third of the five is deliberative democracy. Number four is political and workplace rights. And finally, the fifth point of the agenda for social reconstruction is that corporations must serve the public. And by extension, they are not there just for serving private profit. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to explain those five points a little more. And uh, I didn't explain them at all so far, except that what I said in the previous programs. But I'm going to explain those five points in a little more depth. But first, I want to talk about the changes I'm making to the program. Um, somebody is on the chat saying they have a little bit of problem with the transmission. But I'm going to go forward and hope that clears up for them. The changes. Political Dharma. Now. I decided this just a day or two ago, out of the blue pretty much, thinking about um, my own personal journey and how the twin poles of my adult life have been, number one, political reform, trying to create a better society, but number two, and probably even more fundamental and important, my own journey of spiritual development. And I think those two are very much linked that a, um, an, a practice of working for social change can be a spiritual practice in a sense and working for social change also is undermined unless we are trying to become the kind of person we would like to have in a better society. That is, unless we're a person of nonviolence, how can we work for a world that is nonviolent? unless we're a person who can try to work together with others harmoniously, how can we expect to build a world in which people can work together without conflict and without oppression and the rest? So in other words, you have to have, um, you have to try to develop a particular character and way of life in order to build and be the person that's, that you want to see in a different type of society. So Dharma, for those of you who have not encountered the word, you've probably heard it in the context of Eastern spiritual traditions, but the general meaning here is to support or uphold something, usually a law, but not 
laws in the sense of passed by a legislature, more uh, socially recognized practices. For example, you could say that the Dharma or a Dharma is your duty within society, living up to your role as a um, member of society with a particular function. Or you could ex extrapolate that into a larger sense, the cosmic laws, and say the Dharma is the cosmic laws underlying the organization of the universe, and particularly the cosmic laws that give some um, meaning to human life and purpose. That is, we follow these, we'll be in sync with the universe more than if we work against them, which will also work against our own happiness. Uh, it can also be applied to spiritual practice, a dharma, or it can be applied to a teaching by a spiritual teacher who's trying to explain their understanding of these spiritual laws, such as the Dharma of the Buddha. And in that opening title sequence, you saw an animation of a spinning wheel. That's the wheel of the Dharma being set in motion uh, in trying to talk about the principles underlying our desire for political change. That's why I call it political Dharma. The opening song is a change as well. And the credit for that goes to the composers Joey Helpish and my friend Patty Rose. The song is We Little Tot. That is we, in the sense of small. Uh, we Little Tot. And you can hear more of Patty Rose's. That's P A T T Y Rose, R O S E. It's a male. Uh, he's, his name is Patrick, so he calls himself Patty Rose. You can see his podcast on YouTube or, on, or listen to it on various podcast platforms if you're in the Eugene Springfield area area of Oregon. Uh, he interviews a lot of local people in the music scene or in the political scene. Uh, he's had me on his show for some of his less exciting episodes, uh, but he, he does that. You can find that on YouTube at the Patty Rose channel or look for Spent the Rent podcast. You can also find his website, Spent the Rent is abbreviated strpod.com where you can find information about his podcast and his music and even download some of his music or order his CDs. I like his music very much. And he very graciously allowed me to use it for the new opening and closing parts of the uh, of this program. So name change, uh, different music, upbeat music, hopeful music. I think we need to work on hopefulness in order to uh, really commit ourselves to any kind of political change because it's too easy to fall into despair with all the things that are happening lately. And finally, a time change. Remember, next week's Saturday, I'll be starting this at 9 o'clock rather than 8.30, uh, and hopefully I'll be a little bit more alert, awake, and lively for you. All right, so let's go back to that agenda, for the five-point agenda for um, reconstructing politics that I'm proposing and like to hear your feedback on it. Let me go back to that. Number one, can't justify private property unless everybody has enough to lead a dignified life. So I've formulated the principle of universal basic support, which could be realized through a universal basic income and some kind of universal health care system, such as universal health insurance, Medicare for all or something like that. And we also have the responsibility to take care of any property under our control for the sake of other people as well as for the sake of future generations. That would mean a green economy. 
And you notice I did not use the popular term Green New Deal because the Green New Deal, as I understand it, is largely based on uh, contending that they are able to make a lot of new jobs available through the greening of the economy. Let me phrase that again. By spending a lot of money on updating our uh, energy system, they could create jobs in fields such as solar energy and wind energy and geothermal energy to replace fossil fuels, take better care of the economy, and hopefully uh, decrease the advance of climate change, maybe even plateau it off or even reverse it in some way. The Green New Deal, though, they sell on the basis of creating new jobs, which is not a bad idea, and it would create jobs. There'd be other jobs lost in the fossil fuel economy as we transitioned away from that. But my, my main reason for changing the phrasing is that I don't think that creating jobs should be our aim if technology is making it more and more possible for automation to replace jobs. I think what we should be doing is finding a way to spread the benefits of technological advancements so that everybody is able to live a satisfying life and choose the kind of work they they do. Uh, there's a lot of useless jobs or what one author called bullshit jobs where people just do stuff that is not even providing a social benefit. And a lot of jobs, um, I could think in the military industrial complex for one thing, those jobs are there simply to make profits for uh, defense industries, or really I should say military industries, as well as create jobs for people in particular congressional districts. Not necessarily making a better or safer world uh, by increasing the amount and number of types of weapons that we have at our disposal. So not focusing on so much Green New Deal in the sense of creating jobs, as just focusing on greening the economy in whatever ways we can, moving toward uh, more renewable sources of energy, maybe better energy efficiency, um, better agricultural methods. It can include a whole host of things which do not necessarily have to create more jobs than they replace as long as everybody has universal basic support and the ability to do anything else to enhance their uh, personal finances that could be, that they can think of. All right, so those two principles are based on our relations with property. The last three are based on uh, what I call the ethics of social relations. And the first one and a half are about political relationships and government. And the second one and a half are based on economic relations. So deliberative democracy, my contention was that if we have a society in which we're trying to reduce coercion and the threat and use of violence against people. That is, everybody has the maximum of freedom because they're living in ways that are socially harmonious. We won't need as much coercion. And government wouldn't be based as much on coercion and the threat of violence and imprisonment and things like that. That government could be um, more voluntary. Let me try to clarify that. The picture is that as we move into a society in which people are able to have their needs met more effectively and are not as traumatized by poverty and financial stressors, uh, that we could use our productive time 
to ensure that everybody has what they need with none of us feeling like we're forced into it. That is, it's a more voluntary society. So how would the governance of society be organized if it's not organized around the threat of force? It would be organized around us getting together to talk about things that need to be done and how to coordinate our various individual efforts to better fulfill our social needs. It would be talking about it, which is the deliberative aspect, and choosing sometimes people who would play um, a guidance role, like the word guidance as opposed to leadership or uh, supervision, supervision, because guidance indicates that these people, their job is to kind of gather information on what's going on in a society and then offer to us ideas about how uh, we can adjust our actions and interactions in order to work together more effectively. So deliberative democracy means we get to choose the people who are in a position to guide us uh, and we can get rid of them, replace them anytime we, we want to. By get rid of them, I mean take them out of that position, not uh, <laughs> execute them, or take them out and shoot them. So the deliberative democracy would be a system of governments in which we truly have the ability to choose people for roles of guiding us and we can change them or replace them. We have effective methods in place, which I don't think we have now. Our democracy is very deficient and it would also be one that induces people to talk to each other more instead of segregating themselves into various partisan positions that seem like it's uh, either my way or your way, but we can't find a way together to reason and find something that satisfies all of us. So deliberative democracy is a change from what we have now in the direction of more democratic and more deliberative. Political rights would be primarily your individual rights such as freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of association, uh, right to jury trial, the, the various things in our Bill of Rights. But workplace rights would go beyond the workplace rights we now recognize to make it much easier for people working together in a single uh, workplace organization, a business, to associate with each other and to negotiate with any leadership of that organization as a group. So I regard the right to associate as something that extends into the workplace and can't be, uh, it's not a privilege to be given either by the government or by the work organization's leadership. So workplace rights would be strengthened from what we currently have into something uh, where workers have more of an ability to organize and to collectively bargain with whoever may be running a business. And the final one, taking a sip of tea here, corporation, incorporation of a business organization is a privilege and not simply the right of any group of people that wants to create a corporation. So if incorporation is a privilege because it extends particular privileges to a work organization, such as existence that is independent of the particular people who founded it or currently control it, continual existence, and limited liability, limited financial liability for any damage that organization does. 
that can would only be extended to corporations that serve for a socially beneficial purpose and not simply to enhance the, uh, the to direct profits toward investors. And I would think, therefore, that corporations would either have to be um, recognized because they have a nonprofit purpose or because they're controlled by the workers themselves. So those are the five principles that I derived from the ethical um, principles. That is the five-point agenda that I derived from the ethical principles that I created in the, uh, that I set forth in the previous two programs. It's kind of a general agenda and it leaves a lot open for uh, debating how these could be implemented in policy, you know, exactly what kind of policy ideas could be constructed, or what kind of laws would need to be passed. But I also want to say a word right now and expand upon this in my next program as to how we get from here to there, because I don't have a lot of patience for people who say we should do this, we should do that, but have no idea of how to bring this into pass. First of all, I think none of this is going to happen, or maybe it will happen in very minor ways. Maybe we can move towards the one or more of these goals uh, through electing particular candidates to legislative positions or executive positions. So electing people to government that uphold this agenda, I think it would do a little bit to advance it, but not a lot. I don't think you can get there simply through electoral activity for a couple of reasons. Number one, our political system here in the United States was deliberately designed to frustrate majority rule in order to protect a strong version of private property rights. So when I propose principles that are going to limit property rights by um, greater taxation to spread the wealth or to limit the ability to create capitalist corporations, for-profit corporations, that's going to threaten the wealth of people who now have a great deal of wealth, and they're going to use whatever tools the current political system gives them to frustrate our ability to have that happen. Of course, the political system is also dominated by people with money because it's so difficult to understand how it works, and you have to be an insider in order to um, know the pressure points in order to get laws to pass. You also have to have a lot of money to get somebody elected because of our dependence on media for understanding what the candidates are running for. So for a lot of reasons, I don't think electoral politics, even if we get some people into office who have an agenda like this, uh, I don't think electoral politics will do it. I think ultimately what it would take is some kind of a mass movement of demonstrations and rallies and probably civil disobedience I'm thinking along the lines of Gandhi's movement for independence of India or for Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, uh, the use of civil disobedience. But to prepare for that moment, that also may seem far-fetched. How are we going to get to that point? I think we're going to get to that point because our society is going to encounter continual crises from here on in. In my opinion, not only because of the pandemic, but because of the uh, shakiness of our economic system. We're going to have financial crises repeatedly. It's We're not going to really be able to take a breath very often and feel like we've stabilized. Uh, it's going to touch on more and more people finding that their 
financial situation is deteriorating because government programs are going to be cut back, because we're going to deal with recessions or inflation, uh, because automation is going to replace jobs, because the international global system is vulnerable to all kinds of disruptions. For a lot of reasons, I think our financial, our economic system is going to experience escalating shocks, and people are going to more and more look for ways to make their displeasure known with the situation, especially when it becomes more and more obvious, as it already is, that the political system is not designed to respond to our concerns. It's very slow to respond, and it only responds to certain kinds of uh, uh, policy ideas, those that aren't too threatening to the, the, uh, the economically powerful, and not so much to the majority of people who are feeling the pinch. So I think we will get to the point where lots of people are ripe for some kind of mass movement, but I think in the meantime, to prepare for that, electoral politics is good in certain senses in that when people run for office, they can present an agenda and explain it and try to draw people into it. And they can also help lead movements to um, rally support for that political agenda. So an educational function of electing people and a preparatory period of engaging in electoral politics, not because the thought is we can get our people into place and f force our agenda on other people, but because you are gradually over time helping people understand this agenda and why it's important and even developing it further beyond my ability to develop a good agenda for the future and reach a point where finally people are ready for a big change and can put the pressure on the government. It will either have to respond or in, in some respects, just collapse. Right now, I think the only ones prepared to take advantage of a collapse of government are people on the far right, and we're more liable to end up with something that's fascist and close to totalitarianism, more like Hitler's Germany. And I talked about this in a previous episode on social collapse and my concerns about that. So I think those of us who regard ourselves as a little more on the left, or a lot more on the left in some cases, we have an obligation to talk about what our agenda is, to come to some kind of agreements on what our agenda would be, and then to propagate it through electoral politics as well as other methods, looking for the day when we can get more public support for an agenda that we can put into place when the opportunity arises. So that's my thinking on this. If you got questions or comments for me, I'd really appreciate seeing them. Let me look and see if there's anything there already. Um, sounds like more government. Some people don't like that. I do. We need redistribution of wealth big time. Yeah, my, my concern is big government depends on what you mean by big government. To me, a small government would be reducing it to its most essential functions. The biggest areas of government right now are spending on military. That's where most of the spending goes. And spending on social programs that require lots of people to be engaged in monitoring the behavior of other people. So if instead of having a variety of social support programs such as temporary assistance to needy families and unemployment insurance, and um, disability insurance, 
all these things that are supposed to help people but actually have a lot of red tape attached to them they require a lot of government bureaucracy in order to determine if people qualify for those programs if they continue to qualify for those programs by periodically asking them to prove that they still need or deserve or qualify for the program and to monitor how they use their money and make sure they're not getting money from other sources which would cut them off from the government program. So the kind of social safety net programs we have now require a lot of people, whereas if we had a uh, universal basic income at a good level of support, you could do without all that bureaucracy. All you need to do is have people collecting taxes, that you know, the IRS, and number two, sending out checks. Those are simple and easy things to do. The things that government is actually best at on a regular basis, sending out checks. If we had a much simplified tax code, you know, get rid of a lot of uh, exclusions and deductions and different types of things, just whatever kind of income you have, you report that and then you pay taxes according to marginal tax brackets, progressive income tax, that could be much simpler as well and taxing and spending money is easy. You wouldn't need all the government bureaucracy. So I think we'd actually have a smaller government. And as we, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm really not talking about government run economic institutions as people usually think of socialism as taking over big businesses or, or the most essential businesses and running them by the government. Although there are particular kinds of economic institutions that should be run by the government because you there uh, there's not a lot it's just more efficient to have one like a energy grid you know you can't have multiple competing energy grids doesn't make a lot of sense you lay one down and it should be run by the public but most economic institutions would be run privately but by workers or for nonprofit purposes that's why i think that uh, the easiest fix in the united states for running most of our major economic institutions for a profit, the, the easiest fix is simply deny them incorporation status. And that's perfectly in accord with the Constitution, at least in my opinion. So, redistribution, and uh, somebody saying they like the hopeful tone. Yeah, I, I also think the music that uh, Patty Rose allowed me to use has a more hopeful sound to it. The other music wasn't bad, but I like that this music is original, and that's what I wanted to give as a more positive tone to this is, okay, here's my ideas, and I've thought it through to the point of how we can actually make this happen. We could have a world that works a lot better, and we can find steps to get there. Let's talk about it, okay? Help me improve upon my ideas, or let me know what your ideas are, and we can talk about that and hopefully move together. I need hope. I think uh, we all need hope, especially in times when it seems like things are often going in the wrong direction. Uh, I'll be ending soon. Um, people are saying they like that. Don't know what that is. <laughs> I guess that is just a hopeful tone. Uh, thank all of you who are here. I'm going to close now with uh, some more of We Little Tot by Joey Halpish and Patty Rose. And uh, I'll be back again next week. I'm changing the name of the show. So look, instead of Alan on politics, look for political dharma. 
and look for me to live stream Saturday morning at 9 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. Uh, it's just past 9 now, and I do feel more awake already. So uh, hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, hope to see you next week. Our self-worth is a passenger on this vehicle earth With ease I see the chains are breaking We gained our focus, the moves we're making We'll prove to determine Our self-worth is a passenger on the vehicle earth